Welcome to Brighton Adventure Story Podcast. Chapter 20. Booby Traps. James wished that he was allowed outside. Thirty minutes a day had been bad enough before the business with the long man had started. Sneaking into the Quaker meeting house using the triple M key was exactly the kind of thing that he loved about adventures. He had to make do with reading about it in the Green Hands Gang Droplifter Sightings chat channel. His whole Friday evening was spent chatting online. There had been a spate of long man sightings, mostly in and around the rockery. A couple of possible polecat encounters were reported too. Fred had updated the map with all the locations. Some other strange and interesting things had been seen. Ziggy had seen a large number of seagulls loitering in a tree. Oliver spied two foxes sitting on a park bench. And Elsie found a slow worm basking in the sun on Vandeen playing fields. James agreed that these were unusual things, but did not think that they were necessarily relevant. He was very interested in the map that Jenny had found. She'd taken a picture of it and uploaded it for everyone to look at. It was a mass of indecipherable lines and symbols, more like multicoloured spaghetti than any map James had ever seen before. Everyone had ideas about what the different colours and symbols might mean. The only part of it that made any sense to James were a series of dotted and dashed lines that he thought might be footpaths. Of all the messages being sent and replied to on Friday, the ones that James spent most time reading were the accounts of the encounters with the droplifters. He couldn't have been more pleased with the Green Hands gang for their ingenuity and audacity. They had all exceeded his expectations. Even Joe and Millie, who hadn't actually managed to carry out their devious booby trap, had ordered a next-day parcel to try and lure their unsuspecting prey. He scheduled a group call just before bedtime so that everyone could tell their stories. We asked Mum to order us a whiteboard, Joe said. I said I needed it for a school project meeting on Monday. It's scheduled to arrive at 10am tomorrow. We do actually need a whiteboard, Millie added, and it's free delivery too. That was another thing that James hadn't realised. Saturday deliveries were common. Everyone would have another chance to get the droplifters tomorrow. Great idea, James said. I wish I'd thought of it earlier today. Next up was Ziggy. She had been at school all day, and so had gone for a simple attack. I glued the fake parcel to the step, Ziggy said. And when they tried to lift it up, I soaked them with the hose. Mum's got a high-pressure water tank thing for cleaning mud off her mountain bike. It's incredibly powerful. I just poked it through the letterbox and blasted them. It actually knocked their masks right off, and they ran away screaming. Mr E and Wayland had opted for a dry booby trap. We found some super-powerful glue in the basement, Mr E explained. Mum bought it to stick our shed roof back on after a storm. When it's wet, it's totally clear. You can't see it at all. We completely covered the top and sides of the package, but you'd never know it was there. And to make it worse, we filled the package with some old gym weights, Wayland said. We glued them in with the same glue. It was small, but so heavy. And it worked beautifully, Mr. E said. The droplifter picked it up with both hands and couldn't put it down. And they could barely lift it. Another droplifter came to help, and they both got stuck. Wayland was giggling so much he couldn't speak, and that set Mr. E off. James was laughing too, but had to mute them and let Fred and Elsie speak. It was simple, really, Fred said. 
I made a tripwire, Elsie threw peanut butter bombs, and we set the neighbour's dog on them. James had read all about it in chat already. It sounded ridiculous. The whole idea revolved around the fact that their neighbour had a very big dog that was always hungry. Milo's a softy, really, Elsie said. Wouldn't hurt a fly, but he looks fierce, and he's big, really big. Weren't you worried that he would run off? Jenny asked. Nah, Elsie said. He's always escaping through the neighbour's hedge and into our garden, or running down the street. I snuck next door and gave him a nutty nut. He loves them. That's a peanut butter treat, Fred said. Then I disguised myself as a bush and waited. It wasn't fun, crouching down covered with leaves and branches. And we've got loads of vans on our street. I think it was after the tenth one that the droplifters came. The eleventh, Elsie corrected him. And there were two of them. One waited in our driveway and the other ran up our stairs and grabbed the parcel. I pulled the tripwire tight, Fred said, and it just caught a trailing foot on their way back down. They went flying, face down onto our front lawn. I hit them with a peanut butter bomb in the back. They didn't even see me. The other droplifter came to help, Elsie said, so I let Milo go and he leapt over the hedge to get the peanut butter. And that's when I covered their bikes with it. He was desperate for more peanut butter. He kept jumping at them to try and eat it, Fred said. Every time they tried to get on their bikes, Milo would jump at them even more. In the end, they just left their bikes and ran down the road. What happened to the bikes? James asked. Once Milo had licked them clean, Fred told Dad they'd been abandoned, Elsie said. He said they were probably stolen and took them to the police station. Well, that was two droplifter bikes out of the picture. Wilf and Laurie had gone for a more high-tech attack. What did you call it in chat? James asked. Kamikaze Franken-drone death launch, Laurie said. But there was no actual death, apart from the drones. It was simple, really, Wilf said. We had a bunch of small drones that are pretty much dead already. Just cheap ones from Christmas a few years back. Their batteries were all wiped out, only stayed in the air for a minute or less. We had to use parts from two or three of them to make one working drone. Mine was called Reco Blades, Laurie said. I covered it with little sponges soaked in Tabasco sauce, the really hot one. Mine was called Rude Insect, Wilf said. I covered the back of it with spikes. It was a bit slow and heavy, but that didn't matter. James noted the use of past tense for the drones. Neither drone had survived contact with the droplifters. In the end, they didn't even see our decoy package, Wilf said. But we saw them coming. I piloted Rude Insect through a hedge and under a car, landed it right in front of one biker. They ran over it with both wheels. Bang! Two punctures. They almost swerved into a parked car, but ended up skidding to a stop in the middle of the road. I missed, Laurie said. I've never been great at flying drones. I tried to get the Tabasco right into the second one's face, but just flew it in front of them and smashed poor Reco blades into a wall. I thought you did that on purpose, Wilf said, to distract them. Nope, Laurie admitted. I'm just a bad pilot. Whatever, Wilf said. The second rider was watching Laurie's drone hit a wall, and they slammed straight into the one I punctured. Somehow they stayed on the bike, but their front wheel was trashed. Two more droplifter bikes the gang didn't have to worry about. Oliver's approach was also electric, but less subtle than the drone attacked. I zapped them, Oliver said bluntly. Saw smoke coming right out their head. That's how I know it worked. He had found an old car battery in the garage. It had been there since they moved in. It worked, he said. Made big sparks when you touched the contacts together. Big sparks. The hard part was not electrocuting himself while rigging the booby trap. In the end, Oliver went for the simple approach and wrapped the whole thing in tinfoil. Didn't it zap you? Jenny asked in a concerned voice. 
I cut the finger of a rubber glove off and insulated the negative pole, Oliver said, in a rather matter-of-fact tone. And I wore the rest of the rubber gloves the whole time. Minimal risk. I left a little hole in the tinfoil and put a dab of glue on the insulation finger. Then I turned the whole thing upside down on the front step. The only bad bit was when my mum almost picked it up. I nearly had a heart attack. I know the feeling, James said. But why would the drop lifters pick up a foil-wrapped upside-down car battery? I put a label on it. Oliver said, with our address on. I watched from over the road, sitting under a tree. The droplifter walked up and looked at it for a bit. Must have seen the label as they bent down and picked it up. The little insulation finger got ripped off because it was glued to the ground. They just stood there for a few seconds, perfectly still. I figured the battery had died. But then I saw the smoke coming up from their hair. Blue wisps of it. No flames, though. He sounded disappointed. James almost felt sorry for the droplifter. Then, all of a sudden, they dropped the battery, shouted some terrible words, and ran off in a kind of jerky way, a bit like a robot. No one said anything for a few moments. Perhaps it was a moment of silence for the poor droplifter, but more likely because they were all on mute. Juan went last. His story was perhaps the greatest victory for the Green Hands gang, and he hadn't even bothered with a booby trap. I couldn't have done it without Yasser, he said modestly. He lives across the road. And, most importantly, right next to a retired police officer called Wendy. I had no idea she was in the police. I thought she worked on the pier. You know, on the rides. James didn't ask what it was about the retired officer Wendy that made Juan think they worked on the pier. He wondered if they smelled of donuts. I just left an old parcel out front, Juan said. Didn't even bother to tape it back up. Every time a van went past, Yasser would knock on Wendy's door, then hide. Even though she's retired, she's not like a really old person. After the first dozen times, she started opening the front door really quick to try and catch whoever was knocking on it. First dozen, James said. How many times did Yasser knock? Thirty-seven, Yasser said. Yeah, thirty-seven, Juan agreed. That's probably why she was in such a bad mood when the actual droplifters came along. Yasser knocked and she literally opened it in less than two seconds. Why didn't she see Yasser? Jenny asked. Ah, Juan said, because he was hiding. Yes, James said, but where? In her recycling box, Yasser said. I only just fit. So, Juan went on, the droplifters see the package and one of them runs to grab it, just as Wendy opens her door. All I had to do was open my door and shout, Stop, thief! Wendy had them both in some kind of grapple hold before they could move. She told me to call the police, so I did. I gave them Wendy's name and they were over in less than ten minutes. Put the droplifters in a van and took them to prison. It was incredible. In one day, the Green Hands gang had made the droplifters' lives miserable. And even got two of them arrested. If that didn't mess up the long man's plans, he didn't know what would. And the gang wasn't quite finished with Friday yet. Fred's icon was flashing. James unmuted him. What is it, Fred? he asked. The map, Fred said. I think I've worked it out. Music